Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. So it's a beautiful balance of knowing your person, knowing how to communicate with them, and also recognizing it's probably not natural to you. Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training to raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. All right. Today on The Less Stressed Life, we have Maria Sylvester Terry. I just met her. You just met her too. She was literally just on the podcast (laughs) recently, (laughs) accidentally, all of a sudden one morning, I'm like, we're all going to have a little round table. And by the way, I got some feedback on that from other dietitians that were happy that we did that. So it was a fun little two-parter episode that was published September-ish, early September, 2022. So Maria is a registered dietitian in New Orleans. She is a former English teacher and school admin and instructional coach. She loved teaching, but I'm just using her words because she like is a little, she's like a little bit of a wordsmith with like a sassy (laughs) side. So it's very fun. So she loved teaching, but the educational field was a pressure cooker, which is so good. After five years, she took a summer off, changed careers and never looked back. She grew up bullied by her pediatrician and gym teachers for her weight and learned that weight doesn't define her. And she says it like this. I'm trying to like go from the third person, not very fluently. I became an unexpectedly okay CrossFit runner and hiker. If given the chance, yes, I would bench press my bullies now. This is her words again. I used to buy into a lot of diet BS. You name it, I tried it. And my goal is to help you break through the all or nothing approach to nutrition and figure out what works for you. So welcome, Maria. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. So this is what I heard Maria talking about when we were together on this girl's trip in Minnesota at the end of August was we were talking about a lot of random things that have nothing that you would think have nothing to do with nutrition, but they do. We were talking about all the things that we didn't think we would talk to our clients about, but 
Marie was talking about love languages with her clients. And so we're going to get into that a little bit later in the interview. But first of all, I like just understanding people. And I think we are in a phase of life where people are kind of considering, what do I want to be when I grow up, even if I already have gone to school for something? So tell us about that transition, because people ask me about that. And I have not been a second year dietitian. I was a first career diet. Did I say second year? Second career. I am a first career dietitian. And so for some people, that's an easy, swift fit. And for other people, it's not as good. So tell us about that for you. It was not so bad because you had an undergrad, right? And tell us about why you yeah. became an RD. Yeah, yes and no. My undergrad was in English. So... <laughs> missing a little it, yeah. a little, a yeah. little chemistry. <laughs> so I was definitely missing a little chemistry. And my psychology was from AP Psych in high school. So there were some elements of going back to school that were just abysmal, you know, like taking community college classes with kids that were, I don't know, almost 10 years younger than me and realizing I'm really starting over. I'm really doing this. And I think what grounded me was knowing that my teaching degree would serve me really well. And I had to sort of fake it till I made it on that one. Cause I was like, Oh, I wasted so much money. I wasted so much time. And that's a big issue with career changers is thinking, oh, I screwed up the first time. You didn't screw up. You get to use all of those skills in a new way. So that transition was beautiful because I realized I'm great at group projects. I am great at presenting. I love to talk. I love to teach other people metabolic pathways. And that helped me learn. So I was able to sort of come to grips with the fact that I, yes, I did change my path. And it, it is weird to look back and know that I went to school and won awards and like did great things as an English teacher. And I'm also a great dietitian now. And I'm so grateful I did that because it gave back to me mentally and spiritually. And also to that little inner child version of me that really struggled with food to know like I'm doing her some justice too right now. So it was a beautiful transition. It, it took about four years, including the internship. The internship brought me to New Orleans and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else to talk about food. That's for sure. Where were you from? Philadelphia. Okay. So I went to school in Maryland. I went to a little tiny school called Mount St. Mary's University. And then I went to North Carolina to teach English and met my husband there. We moved to Philadelphia where I'm from so I could be near my family again. And we were there six years when I matched. And I matched to Tulane. It was his top choice. He never told me because he never wanted to weigh in on that. But that was his top choice. And yeah, we're here for good. Cool. Very fun. I mean, what was the catalyst? I know you said that teaching or being in schools was a pressure cooker. And what year were we in when you made this switch? Why did you decide to become an RD, would you say? Yeah, it was 2016. I had been married maybe three months when I had this sort of real spiral out mentally of just, you know, being sick. You know, there's some Sunday scaries and then there's like Sunday sick to your stomach. And I was in that place of like, I'm getting sick every Sunday. I must have something wrong with me. I should probably diet. Like it became more of this, like, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. And when I realized the system I was in, I was at a pretty high stakes, no excuses style charter school. If you're a teacher, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, It's a really interesting style of learning and teaching. It kind of wore on me. And when I looked back and I thought, you know, I had to take some time away. And typically as a school admin, you work all summer long. I didn't work that summer for the first time in a long time. And I thought, well, what is it that I want to do? I want to help people. I want them to feel good about themselves. And the school system I was in did not do that. Like you were in detention for having the wrong socks. It was not a nice environment. And I thought, what are some careers that spoke to me or stood out to me? 
what are some things that allow me to teach without feeling like I have to bring home grading? <laughs> it's like a big, a big push of like working from home, working at home. And I took a bunch of different tests and career quizzes and it always put me in this psychology and nutrition kind of is where I kept landing. I thought, well, there's a reason for that. I could have done like the nutrition coach thing. Cause that was big. 2016 was like, when you could do the online programs or holistic coaching, you kind of go away from the RD credential if you wanted to. And I knew a couple of dietitians I really liked. And the funniest part is I had a couple of dietitians I did not like. And I thought it would be nice to put a different style of dietitian into this world. And I thought I'd been bullied by pediatrician and had not nice things said to me by dietitians as a kid. Maybe I could do right by kids because I was from that place of pediatrics for a while. Like, oh, I want to go and work with kids. Maybe I could do right by them by teaching them about food in a different way. So that's kind of what propelled me. And to be honest, I took like two classes in community college and said, if I don't like it, I'm going to go back to school, like to uh, to being a school admin, I'll just go to a different school. I'll just go somewhere else. And I loved it. So it really just... It just happened so fast. I love people's stories. I think it's amazing because then the listener either sees themselves in that story or at least they're inspired because it's like, how do you jump? I mean, it is, it's kind of scary to say I'm in a career and then I use four years to do something different. (laughs) And I had, you know, I'm I'm in a place where I'm touring colleges with my oldest daughter now, which feels really crazy as well. But there was a professor and he said recently, time's going to pass anyway. (laughs) So you might as well do it doing something you enjoy because he was talking about having like two years between his undergrad, postgrad degrees and all of these things. And so he's like, time's going to pass anyway. So it's true, you know, make a difference in whatever. And I, I love how you came to this. And I also think if we could all have a interest in psychology and nutrition at the same time, because I was very unprepared for how emotional it was. I also like you know, the metabolic pathways and teaching. And I was just always like very interested in the science of it. Like, this is so cool. I can't wait to share this with someone. That's kind of mine started in a little different way, but a very similar situation. But I bet you got a lot more out of all of those classes <laughs> after, <laughs> after, after you were already someone who was you know, and, and also I just wonder, did you critique the classes as you went? Doesn't everyone critique their classes? Yes. As they go? Oh, I definitely did. I definitely did. I felt like, oh, wow, the instructional coach in me is glaring, mm-hmm. but your nutrition professors don't go to school to learn how to teach. I will just mm-hmm. say that they yeah. do know a lot though. So buckle up, yeah. just record the lecture and go if you're in school for it. It really was a situation where I really had to just harness the risk of maybe not liking it and maybe not enjoying it and seeing what could I bring to the field that I do love. And it's been very good to me. I also, you know, was in a situation where I was able to save a ton of money and go to school. I had like AmeriCorps grants that I could use. Like we can always talk about that specificity of what it costs to go back, but it was sort of right place, right time. And like you said, the time was going to move no matter what. So that's how I decided to use it. Yeah. Cool. I didn't know it took four years for you. I thought you had somehow like were able to take a master's and then an internship, which still I, honestly was in three years. You know, I did. Um, yeah. I did. And it was a year of prereqs, two years of master's, and then it was the year internship. Oh, so sure. the stuff that you there it up. is. Yep. yep. Right. No, <laughs> you probably, you probably thought it would be a little bit less when you went into it. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. You know, it I is did. what it is. Yes. I definitely <laughs> thought so. And I did not think I'd have a pandemic at the end of it either. <laughs> oh yeah. Fun times. And maybe that worked out because I wonder you know, I think it's like, I could do something with this. And how did you decide to, did you go straight into private practice right after school? I didn't. No, I didn't. Oh, you did. 
I took a job where I was working in New Orleans in more of a public health nutrition uh, center where I was working with restaurants and Mm -hmm. I was working with chefs to identify items on their menu that were more on the nutritious side and just kind of served up those healthy nutrients that a lot of folks that struggle with chronic disease here really need, but aren't getting, you know, they're not getting those items really advertised on the menu or they're not there. So I got to do a lot of community work, which I adored. And I was able to like see clients here and there on the side, but it was never quite a private practice. It was a lot of moonlighting. And then one day just kind of felt like I felt that shift in me again, like it's do or die, like it's time to take that next jump. So that's when the private practice kind of settled in. Yeah. Which was recently, right? Yeah, it was, I decided to leave my job in February. So I gave a pretty lengthy notice and I left in uh, April, like right around Easter. We had an event that ended around Easter here and everything is by seasons here by Mardi Gras and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I left at the end of Mardi Gras. And so it's been May. It's been a short amount of time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. So tell me about some of the talents that you can bring over from teaching and instruction. What did you call it? Instructional coach. Coaching. I don't know what that is. But. Sure. Well, I'll be happy to tell you because it'll help answer the question. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Instructional coaches watch teachers and they usually watch teachers within their subject that they're an expert in. So I was the English and writing, reading person. I would go and observe reading, writing English teachers on how they were instructing their classes. So it's twofold. Part of it is behavior management. So I can run a group. Let me tell you, there's nothing I love more than talking to me. 50 people at once or hundred people at once, because if you can talk to 60 middle schoolers or run lunch for 400 children, you can talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. So that was huge. The second piece is that I also help them hone in on what is it they're trying to teach someone? What are you trying to tell them? And you can only really do that by asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. So I taught teachers how to ask better questions, sort of how I saw my job. So, you know, I get to some really interesting places with my clients now because I think, and I pause, I know what they want to say. I know what they're thinking. How do I want them to learn it? I don't want to be the one who tells them as a teacher. You don't want to be a lecturer. You want to engage students. You want them to think for themselves and come to that answer on their own. I feel the same way with my clients right in this facet too, right? Right. Online headphones on thinking, talking together. I never want to just give it to them. And so I ask really incredible questions. And I say that very proud of myself. It's taken me years to hone that craft. I've taken classes on it. I've taken certifications on it, how to ask really good questions. I also feel like I come with that maternal energy of, you know, have you showered today? Have we taken time for ourselves? Have we done our homework? Like what happened? You know, rather than you get an F, you failed nutrition today. It's more, how did we get here and how can we make it better? Because kids are always learning. And I think we give kids benefit of the doubt. You're a kid. Don't take things too seriously. With adults, it does feel very serious. feels very all or nothing. Like you can't drink water. You can't drink 64 ounces of water in a day. What's wrong with you? Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe you're a full-fledged adult living in a really challenging situation or whatever it might be that you're going through. So lots of benefit of the doubt. I love to talk to family. I love to talk to parents. So when it comes to talking about parents, we do that a lot. I talk to people's spouses and their partners. Uh, I was never afraid to call home and talk to parents or to have them call me. So I think there's sort of this, like, let me be a part of your crew, (laughs) which is also the New Orleans thing too. Like, let me be a part of your crew. And I think lastly, would just be patience. 
I don't really hold my clients to this like hard deadline of this is when you're done. This is when you graduate. This is what it looks like. Really being patient and knowing that they've been through a lot. Maybe they've been through things I've never heard of or never seen or never experienced myself. So what compassion can I offer them so that they know I'm on their side? Everybody loves that teacher that's just there. You know, you can talk to them about anything. That was always a teacher I was. That's sort of the person I still am for my clients today. So definitely that sort of a, that sweet compassion, I feel like is crucial in my practice. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff there. I'm going to go back to asking incredible questions because any coach that I've had, I mean, that comes up a lot. And like you said, you didn't just fall into that. That's like a craft you hone. I volunteer and help kind of sort of teach some middle school and high school. And I totally understand that, that I often am more nervous about that (laughs) than anything else. Like (laughs) they are going to butcher me with their eyes if I do not make this interesting and like compelling and and, like thought like, I really have to overthink. I don't know if that's the right word, but I think about it a lot. (laughs) I'm going to like phrase things up and, and make it valuable. So tell me about when we were together, you said, and you just alluded to this a little bit, but you said talking about loving themselves and loving using love languages. First of all, let's give that a little bit of context. If no one's really heard of love languages or they think they've heard of them, but they're not even really sure which ones they are. Maybe you could briefly tell us a little bit about that. And then I want to hear how that happened in practice for you. Was that just something you were interested in? Or was that another thing you brought over from teaching where you saw it with kids, you know, or something like that? So, yeah. Okay. Great questions. So if you're not familiar with five love languages, they are sort of, I would say, created or identified by Dr. Gary Chapman, who is a marriage counselor. So they were really created for helping folks communicate with their partner or their family's love language, meaning we all have a language that we like to receive, to receive love, to know that we're loved, to trust that we're loved. And we also have one that we probably talk with. Ultimately, they're probably the same. I'll give you an example. Mine is quality time. My husband's is physical touch. I show him love with quality time because that's the way I like to receive it. I have to make an extra effort to provide him love in the way he likes to receive it, which might be giving him a hug when he walks in the door, holding his hand, you know, just grazing by his back when I walk past him in the kitchen. Those things mean way more to him than they need to me. So it's a beautiful balance of knowing your person knowing how to communicate with them and also recognizing it's probably not natural to you. So it's gorgeous. I think it's just a beautiful way to communicate with people. And I learned it through marriage counseling. When my husband and I were getting married, we had to go through like a training and they talked to us about the five love languages. And we, that was the first time I ever really knew I even had that. I'm like, what is that? What are my other levels of love languages? Cause we're not always just one. And that was transformative for the way we talk to each other. And I heard my clients talk about their Enneagram. I heard my clients talk about their personality type. What are they like? What are they not like? Are they extroverted, introverted? And when it came to love languages, they were always shocked when I asked, oh, what's your love language? They either didn't know it or they didn't think it made any sense that I was asking them. And there is a pharmacist here who I became friendly with. Her name is Alicia Reed. She's all about self-care. And she talks a lot about using the five love languages as self-care. And I thought that really plays a part in how we take care of ourselves with nutrition. It's huge. So huge nod to Alicia for that. And that has been transformative for me because there's a lot of guilt wrapped up in self-care and nutrition of, oh, I should do it this way. I should do it that way. I should take a bubble bath. I should get a massage. I should order my groceries because that's convenient. What if your love language is physical touch and you love going to the grocery store and picking up all of the items and holding them and touching them and reading the labels and all that good stuff. 
that's sort of where I go with my practice of thinking about, well, you're feeling low in your tank. You're feeling really down on yourself. How are you showing yourself the love that you need? So what are the five love languages I kind of missed right over? Let's get started with acts of service. So like receiving, you know, the action rather than, you know, kind of your action speak louder than words type of person. Someone did something kind for me. More tangible than that is receiving gifts. Quality time would be another of just feeling like, you know, someone is just giving you undivided attention. Words of affirmation is that attention, but it's specifically, hey, you said this beautifully. I really love the way that you did X, Y, or Z thing. And then physical touch would be that fifth one, which isn't just like sexy physical touch. It's really about knowing you're there, letting someone feel seen, knowing that that touch means that you really care for where they are right there in the moment. I got four down. <laughs> so I got down, <laughs> I got down acts of service, quality time, words of affirmation, physical touch. Which one did I miss? Receiving gifts. Oh, receiving gifts. Got it. I, yes. I remember hearing it. I like to type copiously during <laughs> I don't know if anyone can ever hear it, but I like to attempt to take notes that I will never really look at except for the show notes. So there's five love languages. We just went over those. I have questions about determining this because I kind of speak the Enneagram, which is why I'm so intrigued by how you use this in your practice. My ears lit up. (laughs) They lit up and they were like, I want to hear about this. And I love what you said there about self-care is often related to shame and guilt because it looks like one more thing we have to do. That's how I feel about it. It's like, I already have the world on my shoulders and it's one more thing I need to do. And that's interesting. I've been paying a lot of attention lately to shame or the concept of shame and feeling shameful about things because we just kind of retreat and walk away and then don't get any... I think it's like if I am paying attention to there's education and then there's when does behavior change? And then what are some things that... I mean, that's a question. That's something I think that all kinds of people study. And then there is how do we make sure behavior doesn't change? I think when you have shame, you like kind of run away from whatever that change is that you're trying to do. So I love what you said about the shame and the way you described, hey, physical touch, it might be going and picking up the fruits and vegetables and looking at the label. I know you kind of just talked through that a little bit, but what I want to know is if someone goes and they take the love language quiz, because this is kind of where I'm at, I do the love language quiz. I'm looking for it on my phone right now as I'm talking to you. And I'm kind of between the two. So in Enneagram, really, you can be kind of one or the other, be waffling between them, but you go by whatever your greatest desire is and whatever your greatest fear is. And so you said earlier, you're not necessarily one all the time. So can you help us clarify how you determine that if you're if able? Yeah, sure. I think that when you take the quiz, it's fivelevellanguages.com. There's also an accompanying book if you'd like to read it. You can identify for yourself that you're probably not one or the other. So you will be given sort of like suggestion as to what you were ranked as. So for some people like my partner, he's mostly a physical touch person. I'm someone who I'm definitely more in that quality time, words of affirmation Like I straddle that line a little bit. Mm -hmm. And what's helpful for me is to realize that there are going to be days where one is more helpful or more meaningful to me than another. And if I can be aware of that in myself, like, what do I need? A lot of this goes back to need, right? Like I ask my clients all the time, okay, what does this say you need? What did this moment share or reveal about a need you have that's unmet? Just, it could even be food related, right? 
but giving yourself the ability to say, I'm probably not all one or the other. And if I am, that's also okay, but there's probably one you are more inclined to. And then there might be some that also speak to you a little bit, which would mean that you don't just have to love yourself or other people with just one way, that there are other ways that you can reach other people. There are multiple ways that people feel love. That's not to say that my husband does not care about words of affirmation. He adores it. It's just that what is most meaningful to him. So that's kind of how the quiz is written too. It's like, is it more meaningful to you to receive a hug or a note? It's like a a common question you'll get. And so asking yourself, what do I need? And what is most meaningful to me right now in this moment is a great way to sort of toe the line there between the different types. If you are, you know, one of many. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I actually want to just integrate this a little bit more before we move on to the last couple of questions. So you gave us an example for physical touch that I remember, which was picking up the things in the grocery store, looking at them. I thought that was a really cool way to think about nutrition and, and the love languages. Tell me about for example, receiving gifts in that way. Cause I'm thinking about this and I'm like gifts and acts of service. I don't think like, I want to give you an example and I don't know where this goes, but I like to cook for people. But I only like it if they look. I only really enjoy that if they're appreciative. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't. <laughs> this is what happens sometimes when you have children and they're like gross. <laughs> so I am sitting here wondering where that fits or whatever. So anyway, you can take this where you want with giving an example of each one. But I'm just trying to wrap my brain around what this can look like sometimes when considering nutrition or how you kind of talk to yourself essentially. So can we go through each one? Sure. Yeah. So if I was working with someone whose love language was acts of service, I would probably ask them this question, which is what can you do for future you to feel more prepared or loved or seen or taken care of? And that might mean this is bizarre, but cleaning your bedroom, cleaning your kitchen, ordering your groceries. So you don't have to go to the store for them. What is sort of that, you know, thinking like first class room service level active service for yourself. It might be an active service for you to get gas the night before. I know it sounds so small, so menial, right? But you have a stressful day the next day, you know, you need to eat breakfast. You're really struggling with making sure you have everything you need before you leave the house. It would be an active service to yourself to have something taken care of. So I think what does future me need or future you need? Receiving gifts, I think is like buying yourself that like new appliance or gifting yourself with something that you really want just because maybe it's a new outfit that you are so excited to wear. It might be that you take yourself out on a date to get coffee. You buy yourself a treat. You might be someone who needs that sort of that sort of reminder, like a package in the mail, right? Like, oh man, I love that I did that for myself. Mm-hmm. So receiving gifts, act of service. And mm-hmm. I, as you talked about acts of service, it prompted me of a client who told me one time that she just felt so much better after she got some other things in order and everything was, I mean, I feel like, and I think about her and what she does and her whole career is an act of service. So I almost feel like I'm thinking of some very specific people, which always helps you kind of integrate further. So we did acts of service, receiving gifts. You gave us an example for physical touch but that leaves us with quality time yeah. and words of affirmation. And words of affirmation. So I'll, I'll go with words of affirmation first because I find this one the most difficult, especially when the pesky roommate brain of yours is telling you terrible things about yourself, telling you awful mean lies that are not serving you. So words of affirmation could look like journaling, could look like following a series of prompts for self-care or for positive thinking. It could mean changing the background on your phone to be something really meaningful. You look great today. 
you know, like could be a quote that really stands out to you that really affirms what you believe. Thinking about that, you know, if your love language is words of affirmation, that's going to go so much further than, oh, I booked myself a massage for the day. Mm-hmm. Like you might not, maybe physical touch is like the last thing on your radar, but like, oh, well, that's what people do when they're stressed. Mm-hmm. When they're going through a hard thing, they just like take themselves to the spa where what you could really utilize is your own words of affirmation or screenshotting a comment for, for any dietitians or health professionals listening, screenshotting a comment or feedback note, like, oh, that really brings me warmth to have that. And for quality time, I think a little bit about, are you an introvert or an extrovert? So now I'm going to start really blurring the lines here, but if you're an introvert, maybe it means quality time with yourself taking yourself on a walk, taking yourself out to go do something that feels good or spending time inside. For an extrovert like myself, I want to sometimes stay home and just hermit myself because I'm so exhausted, especially if I'm interfacing with clients all day. But what would really serve me is quality time with people that give back to me. I get a lot of my energy from other people and I just love being in the company of others. I have to remind myself of that. Loving myself with my own love language is sometimes a chore. Because quality time is just, it's time, it's energy. So knowing that, you know what, I'm exhausted, but calling that one friend I love for dog walks, that's what I'm going to do tonight because I know I need that. This was so helpful for me. Which oh, was good. me so also. I have my quiz results up and I wasn't really sure how I felt about them because I didn't, <laughs> you know, have any context. Now that I hear you talk through each of them, I'm like, oh, this context helps know why this might be more enjoyable than this. And it makes perfect sense. In, yes. And and again, that context. You could teach a class about using love language in your practice. <laughs> sure could. <laughs> sure could. Tell me about what some of the outcomes that you see with clients when you start to use this. Ultimately, the number one thing is relief. Like they had been pushing a self-care tool on themselves that really was agonizing. Like, oh, this is supposed to make me feel better. Like the bubble bath is supposed to work. And what they had been missing is themselves. They had been missing the actual attunement, if that's the word, right? They, they ha- we're not attuned to themselves. So there's this immediate relief of one, I don't have to do it that way. And two, the way I'm doing this now makes me feel better faster, makes me feel better longer. I'm actually feeling like this time is giving something to me, taking myself out for a treat. My clients and I talk about that a lot. Like, oh, I just want a little treat. I just went out for an errand. I got to get a treat. For some folks, it's a terrible habit that's not serving them at all. But for others, it actually is this like welcome time away from their house. It is a gift to themselves. It's that random spontaneity, the same thing you'd bring to a partner, right? But you're now giving it to yourself. So definitely relief. I think there's also education about self and the sort of self-development to feeling like, oh, I know myself better. And then with that comes confidence. So knowing I'm going to turn down plans to stay home by myself because my love language, my love tank, if you will, is really low. My self-love tank is low. So confidence in making those choices and knowing that, you know, Maybe it's not a spa day for you. Maybe it's not baking cookies. That would be awful to me. Mm-hmm. Like I, that is not, I, I'm not doing what is, that. What does baking cookies fall under to you? Cause I feel like they could go oh. under many things. Oh my God. It could go under everything, right? I feel like it, it really could physical touch. It could be an active service if you're making them for someone else. I kind of see it as for me, if I were to make cookies, it would be an active service. True. And I just feel like I'm like not. Baking. Yeah. I'm not a kitchen cleaner. No, I yes. don't want to measure everything. So, and I also think brain wise, 
that doesn't help me decompress. But for someone who just loves maybe solo quality time and they love that active service of themselves of having those cookies available or something like that, right? What if you had some treats in the freezer and you just needed them for a day when you're so excited to have them? That's awesome. That's just not something that falls under my love language. And the best part is that I'm so happy for you if that's you. And I'm also so happy for me that I know that that isn't for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super cool. Well, if someone was listening to this today and they are so intrigued and they're <laughs> like, man, I wish I could just learn so much more from Maria, but, you know, or I just want to indulge in this concept of applying love languages more to my life and more to my own self care and more to myself. <laughs> How do I use my own language, love language to love myself? Where do you suggest, or maybe is there three steps or is there some place that you would charge people with to start today to like kind of, integrate that into their own life a little bit more. Yeah. So first step would be take the five love languages quiz. It's online, fivelovelanguages.com. I'm not affiliated with them at all, but it's an easy tool. Just like taking your Enneagram. I think it's even quicker than that. Mm -hmm. And then I would do two things. I would apply it. I think first to your relationships and just see like, how do I see this making sense with others? Because that sort of paradigm, that like schema of like, oh, this is how I love others is sometimes easier for us than thinking about, oh, how do I love myself? Like, it just feels so awkward and uncomfortable for so many of us. Like, I don't have even the time to think about loving myself. So think about somebody you love and say, oh, I noticed that I do receive love that way. And I do love other people that way. And that's interesting. And then consider how could I apply this to myself? There's a really silly meme that was popular maybe five years ago of tacos as love languages. So spending time with tacos, making tacos, mm-hmm. giving tacos to others. And I kind of want you to do that for yourself of how could I transform how I communicate with myself, how I talk to myself, how I take days off from work, get really tangible of how could I love myself in this way? And am I okay with not knowing the outcome yet? Right. Cause we always want to know like, Oh, is it going to work? I don't know. I don't even know what the definition of work is in this moment. I want you to just sort of investigate and take that risk and see what, what does happen when I turn down the spa day for a walk in the park when you live in <laughs> swampy New Orleans, you might be surprised. It's actually more enjoyable if that is in alignment with your love language. Mm-hmm. So Super take cool. the, yeah, take the quiz, apply it to someone else in your life, like a loved one, and then apply it to yourself. And then if you still have questions, we can always have a conversation about it. I think yeah. that would be cool. Yeah. And on that note, where can people find you online? You can find me on Instagram. You can call me Ree for short. Vitamin Ree is my handle. Um, you can always send me an email. I love writing. The English teacher is always here. So hello at mariaterrynutrition.com is the best way to get a hold of me. And Vitamin Ree is vitamin underscore R-I, right? Yes, it is. Thank you. Good call. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks my, for having me. My cranks are still turning on this because I think this is such a unique, I think it's a very unique perspective on something that we can all do or something simple we can start to apply that costs nothing (laughs) that helps us understand ourselves better. And that's really the challenge is like not understanding yourself. That's where things get really messy and trying to please others and all of these things like is where things get really blurry and we get like ultra confused. So this is just a simple tool or framework that you can make completely your own if you want. Yeah, absolutely. So please think about teaching this class. I will. I will. Thanks for inspiring it. Yeah. 
Sharing and reviewing this podcast is the best way to help us succeed with our mission to help integrate the best of East and West and empower you to raise the bar on your health story. Just go to reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. That's reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. And you'll be taken directly to a page where you can insert your review and hit post.